Thanks, everyone. So good to have you all here. Over the past 30 years, the digital innovation curve has grown exponentially. With this evolution, we're seeing dramatic applications of technology, from sending citizens to space to self-driving cars. These moonshot applications show us what the art of the possible really is when it comes to technology. Unfortunately, what we don't frequently see, though, are technology applications that are often simple, yet have the capacity to really make an incredible impact on our lives. During our hour together, we are gonna sh shine a light on the innovations that are changing lives for the better. I'm Reva Bhatia, I'm your moderator for today. I work at Publicis Sapien, a digital business transformation company. Our firm works with hundreds of Fortune 1000 companies from public sector organizations to private organizations and are really focused on helping them to modernize in a world that is increasingly digital. We take this responsibility really, really seriously. And we try to keep human stories at the center of what we do. And we're really committed to demonstrating the positive impact that technology can have. I'm joined today by Hannah Shank. Hannah is a fellow uh, for Public Interest Technology at New America. Thank you for joining us. I'm also joined by James Kessler. He is the industry lead for the public sector at Publicis Sapient. And finally, I'm joined by Teresa Breda, our chief marketing officer at Publicis Sapient. So as we kick off our session today, we're gonna start with diving into a real example of what digital for good looks like in action. Tackling the housing crisis that came with the pandemic is not what springs to mind for many when it comes to where technology can help. To tee this up, we're gonna actually share the story of Kirsten, a single mother who was on the brink of homelessness. On the precipice of a devastating loss, we see how her fate took a turn through technology. To show the story, we are gonna actually share a clip from a film that Publicis Sapient produced to shine a light on Kirsten and the many others who face similar challenges as her. Give it a watch. A mother's job is never done. We give our last even though it is our last. Everything was going stable and the pandemic hit. I couldn't work and I'm down on money. The truth was we was getting evicted. My dad, he taught me where there's a will, there's a way, and I'm gonna find it. The program has helped more than 18,000 household renters affected by the pandemic. The county, I know they didn't expect the size of the crowds that we had. Thousands of applicants. Kirsten was in a bad situation. There's no way we would have been able to get everything we needed done if it had to be done on hard paperwork. Because we were able to digitize, the system was there. The internet is a beautiful thing. All right, thank you. Um, so obviously an incredibly powerful story. Um, so with this, Teresa, I'm gonna start with a question for you. Um, you know, so much of what I teed up in our introduction about Publicis Sapiens' approach to, approach to digital business transformation comes from really putting people at the center of what we transform and what we do. Then we saw the story of Kirsten um, and got a glimpse at what this actually looks like in action for real people. 
What do you want people to take away from Kirsten's story? Thank you, Raver, and uh, I'm excited to be here. And um, uh, so let me, first of all, let me just say I agree with you because a lot of this would not be, this film would not be even possible to do if, because of our approach. And you're right, our approach to transformation is our, our ways to look at transformation from the eyes of the person, being a customer, an employee, or like Kristen, a citizen. So for us, always, our approach is always look at transformation from the outside in versus the inside out. And because of that, we are able to do this film. But to answer your question, there's three things for me that I wanted people to take away from this film. One is that technology is a force for good. Technology is not the enemy, it is the enabler. And because today there's so many conversation and many discourse about the negativity about technology, I wanted to remind all of us that inherently, technology is unbiased. There are people that are making the decisions. The second thing I wanted people to take away from it is that digital transformation, which we hear this term a lot, and it is not just about big business helping big business. It is actually in service of people. All transformation is about people because it's done by people, for people, and with people. And when we, business uh, society, when we try to create solutions that are in service of people, we are creating a society and a world that is better for all. And the last thing I wanted uh, uh, to remind everybody, I wanted the film to inspire people, but I also wanted to remind everyone that we do live in a digital world, right? That genie is out of the bottle. But the more digital we become, the more human we have to be. That's great. Thank you, Teresa. And you know, you said something really powerful, which is digital transformation isn't always about or just about big business helping big business. And you know, with that sentiment in mind, James, you know, you've spent a lot of time partnering with organizations to really get them to see what the art of the possible is when it comes to applying technologies. Um, you know, much like the organization that powered the change that enabled Kirsten um, to, to stay home um, and purchase a home for her kids. So, you know, I'd, I'd love to unpack with you how you get clients, organizations in the public sector, um, private organizations, to really think beyond cost cutting and, you know, big business helping big business, to really get them to see the human benefit of making investments in the technology space. That's great. Uh, thank you, Rava, yeah. for that, that question. Um, but before I answer, I would just like to say I'm, I'm thrilled to be here back in Austin, Texas, and sharing the stage with uh, Teresa and Hannah and you, Rava, uh, women that I dramatically admire and look up to. So it, it's a thrill to be here today. Thank you. Um, and it, it has been a long time. And I was reminded of that when I was out on, at several bars on 6th Street last night listening to bands, because uh, it was 27 years ago that um, I was graduating from graduate school and got offered a job here in Austin at a startup. And so it was a choice between the job in Austin or what was known as just Sapient at that time in, in Boston. So it was Boston or Austin. And um, I chose Sapient and it's been a great 27 year journey since, partnering with lots of clients 
and trying to figure out how we can use digital to enable what is both good for the client, but more importantly, the client's customers. And so we have, let me put it this way, it's like around this exhibit hall, there are lots and lots of vendors, some, some amazing um, people with some amazing products. If you haven't seen the, the Brain um, portable audio speaker, wear a helmet because your head might explode when you actually <laughs> listen to it. So there's a lot of people out there who have solutions. And so, but they can only offer the solution because that's their product. So that's one take. Another take, it's like if you're a traditional management consultant, you'd start with the problem you're trying to solve because that's how they're trained, that's how I was trained. But at Publicis Sapient, we start with the people, the person, the one, the Kirsten, and how are we going to impact that person's life? How are we going to make it better? How are we gonna have that impact? And then we work backwards. What is the problem that we need to solve in order to have that impact? And then work backwards from there. What is the work we need to do to solve that problem to have that impact? So when I work with my teams now, we always start with the one. Start with one person. How are you gonna make a difference in that person's life? And then we work backwards from there. That's great, James. And really brings us full circle back to digital really being a key enabler to be a force for good. When you look at the one, when you focus on the one, it empowers you to make decisions that will make a positive impact on the one. Um, so that's a really, really critical lens to, to frankly approach problem solving with. And, um, and, and on that note, Hannah, you know, throughout your career, you've worked quite a bit on also harnessing technologies as a force for good. So I'd love for you to give us some examples on how you've used um, digital transformation and technologies at large to solve complex or life-saving issues. Um, I think it's really important, especially while we're in this space surrounded by all of these amazing, mind-blowing products, to keep in mind that technology is a tool, to your point, it's not good or, it's not good or bad. Um, the question is what you do with it and how you apply it. Um, I noticed in government corner over there um, that <laughs> they are on the hunt for a new solution that will solve you know, problem X or problem Y, but it's waiting for the technology to get there um, to solve all of your problems is, it's a, it could take a long time, um, and it's not necessarily centering the people in the process. Um, so one example of, that's a great, that I, a story that I love from government world um, is uh, in 2015, I was working with the um, United States Digital Service, not represented in governor, government corner over there, but um, it's a- It should uh, be. It should be. Mm -hmm. yes, it should year. be, um, yeah. So uh, a startup in the White House that was um, created to try to bring private sector technologists to work on government problems. Um, so the team that I was on was with the Department of Homeland Security. And this was um, in 2015, we were asked to, um, you might remember there was a Syrian refugee crisis and we were starting to see all of these really devastating pictures and there was a lot of um, interest in taking Syrian refugees. Um, the problem is that the system we have to process refugees takes on average two and a half years from start to finish and only had a capacity of 70,000, could only process 70,000 applications. So um, these are the kinds of problems you often get in government world is we can't process the stuff fast enough. Um, so you know, you're not gonna get some kind of like really awesome technology that does that. It's often a people problem. Um, so 2015, President Obama raised the limit and asked that we took um, 8,000 additional Syrian refugees. 
Um, and uh, the problem was that this was a paper-based process, um, as many processes are in government. So um, part of why it took two and a half years was that it was all on paper and you had to wait. These are people who are trying to come from very far-flung countries. Um, they had to wait for the Foreign Service officer to come there and or from, for somebody from the State Department to come review all of the documents and then physically stamp them with a stamp. And the applications could not move forward until that happened. So the very, very complicated technology that we developed to speed the process was a digital stamp. Um, this was not a very special digital stamp other than it was approved by the federal government to admit Syrian refugees. Um, and with the digital stamp, on, uh, Ju by July, they were on track to hit the um, 10,000, goal, the goal of 10,000 Syrian refugees. Um, and it had, on September 2015, that was um, it, when the uh, executive order came, on, came down, by September 30th, uh, 30th of a year later, um, we had admitted 12,000 Syrian refugees and 84,000 refugees overall. It was the highest number of refugees ever admitted in 17 years, um, and it was a digital stamp. It's um, amazing, Hannah, to think I, that, yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say that, that that's amazing. Yeah. And, and that's in the story that you, you saw as well, um, and the examples, but, and we're talking about some of the things we just mentioned, a lot happen in government and the public sector, and sometimes we think in a private sector, this doesn't happen. But the other thing I was gonna say is that I actually believe no matter what industry you are, it's not mutually exclusive. Doing good and profit, they are not mutually exclusive. And I do believe that uh, um, usually companies, they have positive intent. When they starting to do things, when they, go, when they brought out their product innovation, I do believe there's positive intent. And I say this because we work with a lot of companies like most of our business is actually in the private sector, not in the public sector. And when we work with these companies to help them drive outcomes, outcomes for their business, yes, to reduce cost, yes, to increase inefficiencies, yes, to look for new sources of growth. These are things that are good for business. But what those things do, those outcomes, they lead to impact in their customers. And they do these things a lot is to drive a better customer experience, to, in, to get more clients, to create more loyalty. And those customers are people. So I wanted to make the point that they're not really mutually exclusive. Yep. We, an example, we work with McDonald's, big client. And when we worked with McDonald's, we created a digital platform. If many of you have been to McDonald's lately, you see the digital boards, you see the digital boards on a pickup or inside the restaurants. And those digital boards obviously have reduced costs of creating efficiencies and look for new sources of revenue, bringing new customers to the door for McDonald's. But what also has done, has created, giving people, created moments. And I actually know the story because somebody that works for me I just recently gone to McDonald's and she said because of that technology, she was able, instead of sitting in line and waiting for her food, to sit at the table. And while she sat at the table waiting for the food, her and her three-year-old daughter had a moment, a moment that's what she remembers. She doesn't remember she ate, but she remembered that moment between her and her daughter. 
Another example, we just did a big project in, with a bank, CM Bank in uh, Southeast Asia. We created a, also a digital platform that really tremendously helped the bank. But what that digital platform did also enabled that bank to pay, pay their riders, their drivers. Um, they were delivering uh, food from restaurants. Instead of getting paid at the end of the week, that got paid at the end of the day. That had a tremendous impact in those people's lives because now they have funds, they have money. At the end of that day, they can buy food for their families. So I want to make that point because we can't also, right, this is not just about, um, there is an element of obviously profit, but one is not disconnected to the other. I, that's an excellent point, Teresa, and, and so often, um, you know, people conflate corporate social responsibility and doing good and driving social impact um, with, you know, having to be separated from creating shareholder value. And, I, I, you know, the premise of our dialogue today is that you can create a positive impact through digital technologies on end users through harnessing these amazing innovations and also, to your point, help, help your bottom line. You don't need to hold those two as, as mutually exclusive. And so, I, I, you know, a great point, Teresa. And, and, you know, in that vein, I think it can be overwhelming. You know, Hannah, you mentioned a digital stamp. Teresa, you mentioned digital menu boards, right? These are seemingly really simple technologies. How many years ago was the digital menu board probably shown on the tech floor at South by Southwest? Right. Many, many moons ago. Um, and, and these are things that are making an impact today. And so, again, as doers of change may find these technologies incredibly overwhelming and not know where to start or what to navigate or what the best application is, you know, I'm curious, James, given your work um, with clients in the past, how do you help people really identify the most efficient approach to drive the most impact? It's, it's a great question, and I know we're um, going to be talking a lot about the public sector today, so I'm going to talk a little bit, another um, commercial example, one that probably relates to everyone in the audience. And one of the things I love about South by Southwest is it brings out all kinds of people from across the globe, you know, descend here in, in Austin. But uh, I know at least one thing that everyone has in common today, you all got here somehow, some way. And chances are digital was part of that journey, unless you live so close that you just walked. And in good chance, you might have even used a digital map. So how many took an Uber or a Lyft or a ride share here? Okay, or you, 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 you parked and you used an app to, to pay the parking fee like that? What, how many people flew to Austin? Oh yeah, a lot of number of people, okay. How many people changed their seat on the airplane using their phone? How many people paid money to change the seat on the plane? <laughs> I know I certainly did. Um, I'm from Boston, and it was snowing to beat the band up there earlier this week with a, with a naista, as we like to say. And so I had to change my flight from Tuesday to Monday. It was last minute. I got, I got a seat on the plane, and then I used my app to pick a new seat. And within 20 seconds, I got the aisle seat in the exit row with no one else in the row. And that was the best $49 I've ever spent. And so thank you in advance to our CFO for approving my expense report, but that $49 allowed me to you know, both rest and work for four hours on the, on the trip here. So it's just a great example of digital enabling a great experience for me. And Publicis Sapien actually invented changing your seat on your iPhone, or even before phones came out on a web browser 20 years ago. And so every time I use that, I feel, feel proud of the company that I work for. So that's an example of where it worked well. 
um, I was in Nashville a couple weeks ago. And um, great for the yeah. airline too. And it's great for the airline. That, like to, to your point, Teresa, like that having an impact in the end user and profits are not mutually exclusive because that digital product for the airlines is the number one highest grossing product of the entire airline industry. Because every dollar that they bring in has virtually no cost associated with it. And it enables and empowers the user to feel like they're in control of their experience and their outcome. On the other end, I was in Nashville a couple weeks ago. I had a rental car and I found a parking spot. Guess how long it took me to pay the $1.75 for that parking spot? Seven minutes. I had to find the right app in order to download. I had to download it. I had to establish an account. I had to put in my credit card, and then I had to enable the two-hour parking session. It took seven minutes, and, and it spawned nine emails in my inbox. That was not a great digital experience for me. Um, so when at Publicis Sapient, we think about the end user, the ultimate person that our solutions are going to benefit, and we work backwards from there, as I said earlier. So my experience getting the aisle seat on the exit row on the plane, great experience, worth every penny. You know, my experience parking in Nashville, not very good. And so I'm sure all of you today had a variety of experiences on traveling here, and digital either helped or hindered that experience. And so I hope, my hope for all of you is that your future experiences uh, will be just what you need to get you the outcome that you need, and it's a great experience along the way. Awesome, James. I, who would have thought that you might miss the days of putting change into a meter? I was right? so desperate for quarters, <laughs> except it, it didn't take quarters. Well, few things do these days. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting, though, because you talk about understanding the problem and coming up with the most efficient solution. Clearly, Nashville has a little, the city of Nashville has a little bit of work to do on that front. Um, but, you know, I, I want to go back to Kirsten and, and her, the ch problem she was facing. And, and not just the problem Kirsten was facing, but frankly, our approach to telling Kirsten's story in that way. And so, you know, you know when you think about creating um, a solution to a problem, Teresa, I'm curious, what was the problem that you were trying to solve with our approach to telling Kirsten's story in this way? Um, yes. So I wanted to humanize digital, but I also wanted to humanize our work and bring meaning to our work, to make it relatable, easy to understand. I think a lot of you here have heard us some, a lot of examples we gave about our work, but most of you probably have no idea what we do. And when we leave here, you probably can't explain what we do. Um, because, see, we work with a lot of large companies. We are a B2B service technology consulting company. So we work with a lot of industries um, and governments uh, across um, many industries, like from McDonald's, I mentioned, to Walmart, to Goldman Sachs. And what we do is to help these companies and governments to reimagine their business and services for a world that is increasingly digital. How do you explain that? Now, when you go home to your... Um, children. It's not easy, right? And because our work is not tangible. But what I did not want to do with this film was to talk about the work or even show the work, because frankly, that is the easy part. What I wanted to do is show the impact that the work is having, but not the impact in business. 
because that's also easier to do. The impact in people, ordinary people, real people like Kristen. And that's the challenging part, just because our work, as I said, is not tangible. And for any company, especially B2B service companies, that's a very hard part to do because we're not selling product and we don't sell directly to the end user. So what I decided to do in that moment to do that, to solve that problem, was to tell stories. And I decided the better way to do it is to tell a story that's talk about one person. Just focus on one person's journey and tell that person's journey. And that's what the film is do. Now, I do have to admit, one of the things I learned, that telling a story or creating a film that doesn't not mention your work or mention your name, it can be hard to explain to your company and to your boss, especially if it's the CEO. <laughs> that was really intentional. And not because our name is really hard to pronounce, but because I want it to be meaningful. I want it to be authentic. And that's why we did it. Now, I tell you one thing. In the process of doing this, it's actually been a big, huge lesson for me. And James have talked about, about start with the person, focus on the person. And I think in the process, actually, of doing this film, I also realized that no matter how big or small the problem or the challenge that we're trying to solve is, it can be solved by just focus on one person. And I learned that actually from the process of doing this documentary. It's amazing stuff, Teresa. And you know, I think it's interesting to think about the angle of the problem you were trying to solve for. The angle of the problem you were trying to solve for is how do we talk about this important work in a way that humanizes what we do? And the solve was um, you know, leaning into a story about an individual, leaning into a story about Kirsten, who we're going to hear more about in a bit. But you know, before we do that, Hannah, you know, you you mentioned the work that you did um, at the U.S. Digital Service Department, and you know, one thing that stands out to me is how similar to Teresa, you were able to connect that problem with a solution in a in a really straightforward way. And so, you know, I'm curious if you could give some examples of where you've identified problems and, and how you really leaned into where the biggest impact would be um, through digital solutions. And, and how did you really find those, um, you know, those, those points that would really bring out, um, frankly, the biggest impact? I mean, so much of this work, it's interesting. I, you know, I've worked in technology my entire career and I'm always like, it's not about the technology. Yes, I'm a technologist. Forget about the technology. Um, it's really about finding what those, those key pressure points are that are going to move the needle for people's lives um, and make an impact. Um, and one story that I love to tell is um, takes place in Rockford, Illinois, which is a city um, on the border between, about halfway between Chicago um, and the, um, the uh, middle of Iowa. Um, and um, Rockford had a persistent homelessness problem. Um, they, their rate of homelessness is about 20% higher than the national average. Um, and the mayor was very, very interested in solving the homelessness problem, and this was part of why he'd become mayor. Um, he was interested in um, making sure that all of everybody who lived in Rockford um, was housed. Um, so they had a system um, to track homelessness. There's a federally mandated system 
Um, they pay $30,000 a year to use this system. Um, but the system was not allowing them to solve homelessness. So what they decided to do was um, they pulled everybody who was working on the problem. They discovered that it was sort of, um, it's like the blind man and the elephant, right? So everybody had one hand on one piece of the problem, but nobody was seeing the, the entire issue. So they um, started with a meeting and they got all of the right people, including the mayor, into the meeting, um, and in the meeting, they made a by-name list of everyone who was experiencing homelessness in Rockford, a by, an, a veteran homelessness. They started with veterans. Um, so this was um, in, by 2015, using this by-name list, they would, in this meeting, go down the list and say, why is this person experiencing homelessness? What is what can we do to um, you know how did how did the situation happen and what can we do to resolve it? And one of the things that they discovered was bus passes. They discovered that a lot of veterans become homeless because they miss their medical appointments, and they miss their medical appointments because they don't have the bus fare. So the solution to this was to provide free bus passes for veterans. And so they piloted um, free bus passes for, veteran, for veterans for six months, had a huge impact. It's now policy. And in 2015, they ended veteran homelessness. In 2017, they ended chronic homelessness. And this was purely by creating a list of who was experiencing homelessness, finding what that pressure point was, finding that it was the bus pass, um, and making it, making that policy. Um, and I, whenever I tell the story, people are always like, what was the technology they used to create the by name list? Google Sheets. I was Google Sheets. They were paying $30,000 a year for the federally mandated system, and they solved it with Google Sheets. Wow. Amazing. Great <laughs> Love story. Love that story. Yeah. You know, sometimes you just have to start with the smallest thing. Sometimes we think that and this is why I said that no matter how big or small the problem is, and sometimes it's the smallest problem and finding that point. And that pressure point reminds me of a, a conversation I had with an acupuncturist several months ago. I was in a, in a way to an event to actually to introduce this film. And my um, driver, picking up at the airport, he, I get in a car with him, and he's an acupuncturist, just do, driving, doing that as a part-time job. And we got into the conversation. He asked me what I was doing. I told him I was going to the event. I was going to launch the film. I explained the film, and I told him what I learned from the process of doing this film, what I just shared with you. And he turned to me, and he said, I, I really get it. I absolutely get it. He goes, as an acupuncturist, I relate to that. And he said, my job as an acupuncturist to find the pressure point mm -hmm. that have the highest impact with the least disturbance in the body. That's so and that's all sometimes all you need to do. Yeah, it's, it's so fantastic. And the pressure point, right, that you articulated, Hannah, was bus fares, you yes. know? It's, it's, it's an incredible thing. Um, and the solve was Google Sheets, who would have thought? Um, so, so I actually thank you, Teresa, because that's an incredibly powerful story. And I, and I want to go back to the story of Kirsten and actually take a look at, as you described it, the pressure points um, that were relieved, right? That 
made a huge change in thousands of people's lives, including Kirsten. So, so we're now going to go back and take a glimpse at some footage of the people who actually enabled the change. They drove the change that um, empowered Kirsten to purchase a home. And, and really want everyone here to get a sense of exactly what was implemented in order to solve the crisis for Kirsten and many others. Let's give it a watch. I remember it very vividly. It was March 15th. We were asked to go home because COVID hit. We really had no clue as to what to expect. Within just a few days of that, it really became apparent that a lot of people were going to be out of work without income and therefore their housing was going to be at risk. Everything was quick. You know, we were up and running with a rudimentary system in about three weeks. It was it was a, a glorified Excel sheet that we used. We just did not have the tools to do what we ultimately needed to do. We were in desperate need of a new system. So DreamKey Partners reached out to Publicis Sapient to build a more sophisticated platform. It's not enough to just say, you need to transform and here's some amazing digital tools. You really need to understand what they're trying to achieve and that only comes by listening. I'm Jeremy Johnson. I'm in business development for Publicis Sapiens and I work with state and local clients up and down the East Coast. We started meeting with Jeremy morning, noon, and sometimes late night. And we had a fantastic team, but we had to build trust really quickly with them. Our focus was to get millions of dollars out the door. Working with PS allowed us to be able to focus on what we were good at doing, and it then allowed them to focus on the technical stuff to get us where we needed to be. It's still really humbling. Of course, we're bringing that technology, and we know these tools really well, but it's really the impact that we align on. My name is Kate Hazley. My job is to process applications from people seeking help with rent and utilities based on their COVID hardships. The application itself was, you know, it was a digital application, um, but it's seven pages long, right? DreamKey had to translate those guidelines into what they needed to see on the screen. When someone applies online, the information gets put into a Salesforce application. That application is then assigned to someone in my position and we're able to go into it. Having a database that allowed us to compile all of the documents that a customer may have sent over and then all you have to do is just click on the button and it pops up. You can actually formulate it to make a file so that it's nice and pretty for an auditor. It was a game changer for us. It isn't buying software. The truth is it was the people. It was the staff members who were behind it who said, we're going to implement this system, we're going to get it up and running, and then they did. And that was just the most amazing part about it. When we hit the deadline, I think it, within a few weeks we had the application up and running for people to use. If you think about trying to do what we do with the U.S. Postal Service, um, it wouldn't happen. I mean, there's no way you could get someone from a position where, say, they're a week out from a court date, or worse, a week out from lockout. 
If we didn't have Salesforce and the ability to react quickly, we wouldn't be able to help people. It is a crazy good success. It was like turning on a fire hose. And, you know, we were sitting there when we turned the lights on, on, on the solution, seeing these applications just roll in. We're on your side with information that could help you if you're behind on your rent, your mortgage, or utility bill. The RAMP program has helped more than 18,000 household renters affected by the pandemic pay for their rent and utilities. In 2021, we were able to help 320 households experiencing homelessness into housing. How does it make me feel? I mean, that's the, that's the why I do what I do. Even though we see that every day and we're able to help people every day, when you see it on screen and you see what it means to them, I mean, it's just super emotional. Just watching the film, I mean, it's, it's, it's about dream key, not wanting anyone to fall through the cracks. It's the story there of these women that made it happen. We made about $75 million in rent relief payments through this program. Over 11,000 households that I know that we assisted in our last fiscal year through this process. It feels amazing that we've been able to help that many people keep a home over their head, like a roof. It, it creates stability. And to know that we created that and it's tangible, I can go and find someone that I helped and I can touch them, it's amazing. There's nothing, no other job that would allow me to do that. It's concrete evidence that what we do makes a difference. Thousands, 20,000, and just all of them in the exact same position. All of them just looking for something, you know? You know, there's so often you just don't think there is hope. And in this case, you know, we were able to help, and I'm just so grateful. Again, really incredible story. And so much of what we talked about has been these specific examples of, again, simple technologies being used to drive meaningful change. And so, you know, I, I'm curious though, one of the things that was teed up in the deeper look at Kirsten's story was um, the policy reform that came um, before understanding how you're gonna link um, to the end user. and so. You know, James and Hannah, you know, I'd love to kick it to both of you as having been practitioners in this space. You know, how do we really approach using digital as an unlock for policy and strategy? Absolutely. Um, we've been talking a lot about like the, the one up here on stage, yep. the, the one story. I would like just to mention that uh, one of the magical properties of digital solutions is its ability to scale very quickly. And we were able to take that solution, uh, which helped Kirsten and prevented her from being evicted with our partner at DreamKey. And you know, they, they helped 40,000 people, but we were able to scale, scale that over half a dozen clients in you know, all over the country. And we helped a million people pay their rent and avoid being evicted during the pandemic. And we distributed a billion dollars of rental assistance to those folks. So while we are telling the story today of one person, um, it scales very rapidly um, with digital solutions. But you talked about the unlock. Digital is the unlock. The, the objective was prevent people from becoming homeless during the pandemic. And just because Congress can write a check for $50 billion for emergency rental assistance, you can't get the $50 billion into individual people's hands by snapping your fingers. You need a solution. And if we tried to do it with a traditional sort of, you know, 
paper-based solution. You'd need processing centers all over the country, trucks going around, bringing pieces of paper everywhere. But we were able to cut through all of that and get money to people who needed it right away. And so digital was the unlock to the policy. And so today, there almost isn't a policy you can implement that doesn't rely on digital to execute that policy. So that's some of my experiences. Hannah, I'm sure you yeah. have many other stories as well. Yes, I mean, we have talked about that. So the um, really the first time this happened where a policy just did not exist um, because the technology didn't work was Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act. That policy, if you couldn't sign up for health care, you didn't have it. Um, and that was a real wake-up call for government um, and I think also for you know, vendor, people who work in that space um, that part of how people design policy in um, the modern age has to involve delivery. And delivery is always technology. That is the world we live in. Delivery relies upon technology. Um, and there's been sort of a leveling up in government um, with this realization, and that's how we get, pro you know, we get solutions like DreamKey, um, where somebody had the idea of like, oh, actually, this thing that we just, this massive um, law that we just passed, and was like a lot of work to design how it was going to work, it doesn't even start to work if you don't have the, the unlock, which is, um, which is always tech. That's incredible. So... You know, Teresa, I'm curious, when we address the meaningful impact on digital in the way that Hannah and James just teed up in the way that we saw in the behind the scenes footage of the film, you know, it's clear that there's an undertold story here. In the introduction, you said, said something so elegantly. You said, um, you know, it, it, digital technology is getting a bad reputation these days. Um, and, you know, elevating these stories of good is such a powerful approach to getting people to really see how digital can and should be harnessed in today's day and age. And so, um, you know, I'm curious where you see this approach to storytelling taking us. Uh, yeah. But before I answer the question, I, I, to your point, that I also said in the, in one, one of the reasons uh, to do this film was to show that digital, uh, it is a force for good. But I also say that transformation is about people. And I, I really, really believe that because people that are making the decisions, same thing with technology. Um, but transformation requires courage and requires bravery to make those decisions. And often in time, unfortunately, both government and the private sector, people that are in a position to make those decisions and to make the change, they don't have the appetite or the desire to do it. That's why things take so long. That's why we probably saw the menu boards here 20 years ago and now you actually experience them. Yeah. Right? Um, and that is, it goes back to about people. And when people don't actually want to disrupt the status quo. They don't have the appetite to disrupt themselves. Like, this film for me was disrupting the way I think about marketing. I'm a CMO. And you think about my job is to promote our brand. My job is to put the brand everywhere, like we do a 30-second commercial. You don't see my brand in the film. Well, haven't seen the entire film. I invite you to see the entire 15-minute documentary. Never done. 
and you'll see that it never talks about us. And again, because of that. So to do that, I had to disrupt the way I think about brand marketing. It's a risk. If this didn't work, I would have probably spent a lot of money. <laughs> um, but, and the reason sometimes we do not, individuals, people, executives, in people in government, they don't, have the, they don't have the appetite to do that. So instead of having transformation, what we end up in the end is incrementalism. More of the same. I used to have this saying to say that, because we've been thinking about digital, digital transformation for so many years, so why is now? Like, really, these technologies have existed for over a decade. And I used to have this saying, I still do, that what many companies have done is random acts of digital. And what I mean by that is goes back to technology. You add technology to solve the problem. More technology. I create a website. They create an app. I create this. But you haven't addressed the problem yet. So let me come back to your question yeah. now. Yeah. So um, what was the question again? Whereas, <laughs> excellent. Where do you, so, so my question was, and I think you touched on it a little bit, which is, you know, where do you see this approach yeah. to storytelling, yeah. you know, making the film? You, you so elegantly put that, you know, it wasn't necessarily about the film in and of itself. But, yeah, I'm yes. just curious. I will address the question. Yeah. I have to, like, say that because I, I feel like we do, for me, it's really important. I feel that uh, I understand that. So... To your question, this film, it is not a, just a story. For me and for us, it's more than a story. Look, and it's not, creating a film, it's not new, right? We are at a festival, celebrating films, celebrating art, you see a lot of great films. So anybody can make a film. Probably a lot of you in the audience have made great films. Um, any company, can hire an Oscar-winning director to make a film, and lots of them do to create the 30-second commercials that you see on a Super Bowl Sunday. Um, but what most companies cannot do, especially B2B service tech companies, is to show the impact their work is having on ordinary people. And the reason this is why this for us is more than a story. The reason we could do it and can do it is because the way we approach our work. We started this conversation is about putting people at the center. This is the way we approach how to solve problems. And for us, this film is not, it's about the way we work. It's how we live our purpose. Because every company, every brand wants to be purpose-driven. And you hear all about it, right? And they, but the way they do that, most of the times, is through a 30-second commercial or through CSR. Yeah. But this, for us, uh, it is not about that. It's really about to show our work and to show the way we work. And it's about, really, our DNA. And this is why I believe I'm very proud of the film for that reason and why we could do it. Um, but to be honest, all of this put apart, all, all the, the marketing uh, put aside, what been the most beautiful thing about doing this film was not because we're sitting here to South by Southwest, introducing it to you, encouraging you to watch the film. It's really about what it has done for our company and for our people, our 20,000 employees. It really has unified them. 
and what has a, what's so important is because I help them connect the dots. So if I'm an engineer, I was able to understand that I'm not just building code. The code that I'm building is helping somebody, a person on the other end, to get their medication faster so they can stay healthier. I'm helping a person get paid on time so they can buy food for their family. So if I'm a, an engineer, a product manager, an experienced designer, a creative, I can see that my job is not just to break rocks. I am building the cathedral. And that's what this film has really done. Because most of us, we spend our lives in jobs and working, but we don't, most of the time, don't get to see the impact. And this film enabled people to see that. This is not marketing speech. It's not something that we invented. It's real. And you can feel it. And they could see it. And that, to me, was been the most beautiful thing. I, I think that's really compelling, Teresa. And, and this you know, incredible story serving as a catalyst to individuals to really widen their aperture and view simple solutions in a very different way, right? View it from the lens of, um, wow, you know, these are the types of positive impacts that the work that we're doing and digital technology at large can have. And so, you know, James, your team led the work that was described uh, in the footage that we showed. And so, you know, I'm curious um, how, you know, talking about our work in this way has um, evolved your conversations with clients and people in general. How have people been reacting? It's been unbelievable. And so I just wanted to thank Teresa for taking that risk and making the film because uh, it's worked out really, really well. Thank for you so make many... it easy for me. Yeah, we, we work well together. So <laughs> it's worked out for all the different people that I work with. I've got clients, I've got the client's customers, I've got my colleagues, and I've got my partners. And everyone has been blown away by the way that we have focused on the individual impact. I'll tell you this one story. You're saying that I had the impact on our 20,000 people. Here's the story of one of those 20,000 people. And he's one of my colleagues, and he started his career um, coincidentally, the same year that South by Southwest started, you know, about 35 years ago, is in the, in the late 80s, and he worked coincidentally for Digital Equipment Corporation, which no longer exists, but, you know, it's the, the forefront of digital at the time. I remember. Um, and so he, he said to me about this is, you know, six, nine months ago, James, I've been doing this for over 30 years. I've been selling technology. I've been implementing technology. I've never been able to explain to my family what it is that I do. We made the film, I showed the film to my family, and now I can explain, not only explain to my family what I do, but feel proud and motivated. And so he's at you know, the, the, sort of like the later part of his career rather than the early part of his career. He said to me, I haven't been this motivated at work since it was the 80s and I was working at Digital Equipment Corporation. And so that's the type of like, you know, transformational, emotional feeling that our people, our partners, our clients are having about our focus on the impact and that this film is unlocked for them. So thank you for, for making the film and unlocking that passion. And also, Hannah, thank you for writing the book that you wrote, um, Power to the Public, which I give to all of my colleagues, all of my clients and whatnot. And so between the two of those, you've really helped my business. So thanks to both of you. <laughs> thank you. Well, and, oh, go ahead. And I think, I think we are at this trans, like we are at a similar moment um, as, whatever, 89, 94, whatever, whatever era you want to uh, call it. But we are at this precipice of, um, at least in the, in the 
in the public sector and I think also in the private sector of having a an understanding of the kind of impact that technology can have, that it can have a bad impact as well as a good impact, um, and how to really channel it in a transformational way. Um, and I think it's there's a reason. Like it's exciting. We are at another exciting moment. That's I. Can well I, said, yeah, I also please. just want to say something else because this is something actually I've been thinking a lot about it, right? Uh, I haven't had a chance to walk around the exhibit hall, but I bet there's a lot of focus on AI. And probably because AI is having a big moment right now. And um, I spent my first part of my career at IBM, and IBM has been the forefront of AI for many years now. And IBM was a scientist years ago used to say that um, in, uh, in the age of AI, right, what determines your intelligence is not how much you know, but what questions you can ask. And chat GPT just proved that. Um, but I also, for me, uh, and also in my field uh, in marketing, I want to bring back to, to the people. People, I believe that in now in the age of AI, people are the mission critical. And companies often think about their audience as customers, as prospects, as consumers. And I actually believe that's the wrong way to think about it for the brand. You got to think about as people not as a customer, not as a consumer, not as a prospect. Why? Because when you think that way, when you think about my consumer, it's about extracting value. When you think about a person, is how do I add value to that person? Right. So instead of, so that's a different shift. And I think where we are today, it's really important to change the shift. And it's, again, putting people at the center. Because when I think about you as a person, as an individual, I'm going to ask, what can I do to help you? If I think of you as a consumer, which is extracting value, how can I get you to consume more? Yeah. I actually have come to this realization myself. And this part of that, we, again, this film has been a lot of eye-opening. I have tried, actually, this with my team. Every meeting I go, I started asking, what can I do to help? And I have to say, the first time I asked the question, there was a lot of silence in the room because it can be a loaded question. If you just leave the room with a question with that, I realize that people aren't ready for it. But now, when I start asking the question, people get used to it, they start giving me actually answers to say, let's make the meeting shorter instead of an hour, 45 minutes. Let's have five minutes between calls. Let's have more time. Can we have more than one one time with people? And the things actually put forward are simple. But it's, again, it's reframing your thinking. That's really powerful, Teresa. And, and, and interestingly enough, you know, we've talked about the work. We've talked about the film. And the vision here is that telling the story this way and how you've articulated it, Teresa, is going to get people to see again, that digital can be used as a force for good. Hannah, you said it, it, you know, we've seen the negative impacts of technology and the positive impacts of technology. And 
so important for us to make sure that the positive impacts of technology have their moment and have a spotlight because that is often, today, to your point earlier, the undertold story, right? We don't often talk about the human who's the beneficiary of, of so much of what's going on. So um, with that, I, I have a final question um, for, for the panel here today, um, which is you know, a more general one. How has, as humans, technology impacted you? I'll start with you, Teresa. Wow. Um, all right, so I have to go back to the beginning. Um, I grew up in, in, a, in Portugal, in a very small village of a thousand people, literally a thousand people. We went to bed, we didn't lock our doors. Um, in my village, people lived off the ground, from the, off the ground, from what they grew, that's what they ate, and some people still do. People didn't have electricity, many people didn't have water. They definitely didn't have TVs, not even a radio. Uh, I didn't grow up with a TV. I didn't even grow up with having a phone. It was very, very analog world. For many of us, think it's like living in a cave today. Um, but my parents in the village had small business owners. I worked in my parents' business in a store. I didn't have a calculator, not a cash register. Everything was done manually. So I'm sharing that story because I was not introduced to technology. I emigrated to the United States at the age of 17 and still the accent. I went to university and when I graduated, my first job was at IBM. That's how I was introduced to technology. The first time I worked, they had my own computer. When I was in university, I had to go to the lab. But to me, it really that, and I shared the experience because I didn't come from that, but it really has changed my life. As a professional, technology has enabled me to grow my career. From the first time I joined IBM, I've been able to work remotely. I've had many global roles and I have had to move, but that's because of technology. As a mother, I'm a mother to wonderful teenagers, they're somewhere around here, I've been able to be a mother and be present. I've been able to have dinner with my kids, and attend not all their events, but the important ones because of technology. And as an immigrant, which I'm very, very proud of, I've been able to keep in touch with my community. My community that's, that I still go there every year, that I still in touch, and I do that through technology. Now, my community today, people still don't have phones in their homes, but everybody as a mobile phone, and the whole town is now is on Wi-Fi. So all of these things have been on because of technology. So for me, Raver, I could not, I mean, you know, growing up in that village, I could not imagine what I would be able to do today. It's incredible. James. Oh, you, you, you'll get the short version. I can tell you the 10-minute version, but... Uh, technology for me was transformational in my life, and it relates to the, the arc of South by Southwest. So when I was in high school in the late 80s and in college in the early 90s, I played a lot of guitar and a lot of bands, kind of like the ones you see down on 6th Street. You know, we, we didn't make it big. We were sort of hacks, but gosh, did we have fun. But during that period of time, just like um, when Interactive was introduced at South by Southwest, digital came into the music scene. And so when I started, everything was analog. And it was up there as a guitar player. If you want to add an effect, you had to add an additional pedal. 
And then you got like three pedals, four pedals, five pedals, six pedals, all connected. And then in the, in the early 90s, my, uh, my bandmate, my roommate went out and bought this, this rack equipment and he could plug it in and he could, any one of a hundred different sound effects came right out of it. How does that happen? Digital, because it digitally transformed the signal, processed it, and then came back out analog again. We were so blown away by that that it, learned, it turned into a field of study for me. So I ended up majoring in digital signal processing in college, and I went to graduate school for digital signal processing. Um, and then thankfully, Sapient rescued me, and I, I came, <laughs> and, now, and now I get to work with public sector clients um, and you know, helping Kirsten, um, you know, not experience homeless. Definitely but took a turn, but it, it definitely I took a turn. Say, but I'll be out on Sixth Street tonight at, at the bars, and when there, I'm, when I'm listening to the bands, say. I'm not necessarily yeah. uh, looking at their instruments. I'm looking at their equipment to see how they're processing their sound. Well, there that's you a go. really interesting measure. Yeah, yeah. it is. <laughs> and Hannah, we'll wrap with you. Um, yeah. So my story is. Um, probably different and weirder, um, uh, which is I'm possibly the world's first digital native, um, even though I'm 50. So, but I grew up with a, um, a monitor that was connected to the Yale University mainframe in the 70s. Um, I had a parent who was um, part of founding uh, the field of artificial intelligence. Um, so I've had emails since I could write. The only people I could email were my parents and my brother, and so we would just email each other. Um, and I think my experience with technology has always been, um, this is cool, what can we use it for? Um, and it's just been a consistent, like, you know, I remember when the internet, suddenly I like discovered the internet, I was like, this is cool, I wonder what we'll do with it. Um, so I think, I have, as I said, so I've, technology has just been intertwined in my life forever. Um, and I think I am always looking for, huh, I wonder what we could do with this. Awesome. <laughs> Love it. Well, that wraps up our session today, guys. Thank you so much for sticking around. Thank you all for joining us. Huge thank you to Teresa, James, and Hannah. Um, and I hope you guys find the rest of your time at South by Southwest Enlightening. Appreciate it. Thank you.